This episode is supported by the Felmer's Cheney Advocacy Board, or FCAB. FCAB is an advocacy board comprised of private citizens guided by a shared concern for social justice, corrections policy, and the successful re-entry of former inmates as they return to their communities. The 411 Live. Where you can learn about issues that affect us every day. Stay the Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your girl. Can you imagine a person who has spent several years in prison or in jail? They get out and they have no resources. They have no job. Uh, they have no direction. They have no confidence. Now think of the same person who used that time being incarcerated, studying, learning, uh, expanding their mind, expanding their thinking, and they get out and they have goals, they have plans, they have a direction. Hello everyone, I'm Beverly Taylor, and this is the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. I have three guests joining me, and we're going to be talking about a prison education program. They are Dr. Robert Smith, and he is the Harry G. John Professor of History and the Director of the Center for Urban Research, Teaching, and Outreach at Marquette University. Dr. Darren Wheelock, the Faculty Liaison of the Educational Preparedness Program that we're going to be talking about, the EPP, and Sharon Bowie who is the community liaison of this program, the Educational Preparedness Program. Welcome to all of you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Yes. Okay. I read a study that said that people who participated in prison education program had a 40%, 43% lower chance of ending up back in prison. So there's clear evidence that this works that what you're doing works. So Robert, I want to start with you. The last time you were a guest on the 411 Live, we hit on it, we touched on it, we talked about, you know, it was kind of in that idea stage, but it was coming. So has it been a tough climb to get it on board? You know, tough only in the sense of there's been a lot of administrative and HR related minutia. We had to get everybody hired. Mm-hmm. We had to make sure uh, we, we had the, the staff uh, functioning early on in ways to get people hired. And now we're in the process uh, of really seeing the, the program blossom <clears throat> in, a, in, a, in, a, in an administrative and structural way. Now, along the way, we've been, as folks will say, flying as we build it. So we, we've been growing and doing a number of things to help promote our success down the road. Um, but it, it has been a, a process of, of, of putting the nuts and bolts together, brick by brick, and then also making sure that we're piloting some of the efforts that are important to the, the, the internal structure, the, the values that, that come with the program. Mm-hmm. We've, been, we've been role modeling, piloting, pilot, piloting a number of those practices along the way. What is the role that the uh, Filmers Cheney Advocacy Board had in all of this? Oh, well, you know, first of all, shouts out to R.L. McNeely. Let's just, let's just start yeah. right there. Let's just make sure we always send more than a few prayers up to R.L. Uh, FCAB, 
uh, really was the, the uh, entity that really pushed uh, for this process to get in motion years ago. Uh, they were very instrumental in engaging with universities around the region to uh, not only get the conversation started, but to also give us a lot of advice on how to model a program based on the Bard Prison Initiative, which is sort of the, the, the role model of programs that we're borrowing because of the significance of the humanities and the liberal arts to uh, their, their approaches and their practices. Uh, and, they, and, and FCAB has also been really central in keeping the energy going. They're, the, you know, they're, they're folks who are very committed, but they're also very patient. And so they understand how institutions work, whether those are higher education institutions, DOC, uh, they, the, the folks over at FCAB have so much knowledge, wisdom, and expertise, and they just really kept the, the, the process in motion so that then myself, Darren, and now Sharon and others could kind of do our part at the universities to get folks on board, because it can take some time to, to get mm -hmm. folks into the idea and then also see the idea materialize. Okay, so I want to break it up and get you guys to tell me individually your role in this program. Uh, let's start with you, Darren. Thanks. Um, so I have a couple of different roles. One role is, as you mentioned, the faculty liaison. So in that capacity, I'm working with faculty. I'm recruiting them into the program. We have what's called a blended course model of pedagogy. So we blend a lot of different populations. We blend student populations. We blend instructor populations, meaning that we have some instructors that are uh, full-time market faculty. Then we have other instructors that are um, members of the justice impacted community themselves. So I recruit the full-time faculty, the ones that are interested in teaching, and there's a lot of interest in that. I work with them to help on course development, what kind of classes might they offer and want to um, put into the program. And um, so that's my role as the community liaison and I also serve on the steering committee with Rob and with Sharon. And in that capacity, we um, do a lot of the big vision. Where do we want this program to look, you know, to be in a few years, five years or, or you know, thinking about, you know, what are the core objectives and values of the program? So that's um, that's primarily my role in the program as of right now. All right, Sharon. Well, thanks for having me. Um, right now, I've just recently come on board, and as Darren just alluded to, I I'm stepping in with him and Rob, uh, Teresa, and Marisola to have a broader vision of where it is we want to go. Specifically for me, though, I'm trying to connect with various entities in the community, and I've decided to start with uh, analyzing all those who are recipients of the Mellon Grant to make contact with them to determine what they have done that has proven to be successful and maybe not so successful, so that as we progress, we can you know, we can emulate those things that we find to be positive, and we can maybe steer away from those things that will not bear the best fruit. Okay. All right. So, uh, Robert, kind of already kind of talked. It seems like you're kind of like the administrator of this whole thing. Is that? Yeah. So the, the EPP, the Education Preparedness Program, sits in the Center for Urban Research, Teaching, and Outreach, which I direct. You mentioned that earlier. Uh, and so this is, you know, our flagship 
community university partnership initiative. This is uh, an example of how uh, Marquette University is to actualize its mission, but then also uh, an important expression of what we are up to in Curto. And so along with us three, we also have a faculty director, Dr. Teresa Tobin, who is the, the actual functioning director of the program. And the associate director is Marisola Jaleli Chacho. Those two were the first to really uh, initiate and uh, a course being taught inside a correctional center. And so they were, they've been a part of this process for several years. Darren and I, uh, we found each other when I first started as director of Curto. Darren was the first person to say, hey, when we get going on this, I wanna be one of the key folks involved in this. And so he immediately became our faculty liaison to build that kind of energy on campus. And so as the idea began to shape up, it became very, very clear that we needed expertise from folks who understood carcerality, who understood re-entry. And so we're so lucky to have someone like Sharon because not only does he bring a wealth of remarkable experiences, he's di directly impacted and we're not. And so we need his expertise and his skill set and his leadership to help us move from some of the ideas that we have to making sure that we're much more functionally, as he mentioned, addressing those issues that are most important. Okay, we've kind of laid the foundation of this program. Let's get into the weeds. Let's let's look at how exactly this is going to work because we talked about it being a prison education program. So you've got people who are incarcerated who decide that they want to further their education and they turn to this program but you've also, you also have, say, Marquette students who are interested in the subject, the course offerings, and they're part of it as well. There's that, as you mentioned earlier, the, the blended courses. So how does all that work? Are we doing classes at Marquette? Are we doing classes at a correctional facility? How, 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 how are we blending, I guess? Well, I mean, I can take this one. Um, so we have multiple sites. We are currently working with a number of correctional facilities um, across Southeast Wisconsin. And those are what we refer to as our inside classes. And so in that model, it will be in-person classes taught in the correctional facility. The instructors and the Marquette students will be shuttling back and forth from you know Milwaukee to those correctional centers. And um, the those three classes are the, we have a class in um, childhood development. We have a class on the parents of incarcerated children. And then Rob, you'll be doing a class on African-American history. And then we have a fourth class on poetry that we'll be offering inside correctional facilities in the spring of 22. Then we have another type of class that we refer to as our outside classes. And these classes are not currently incarcerated, but they're formerly incarcerated individuals blended with um, the, uh, with, with current Marquette students. And those will actually be held on our campus, in our classrooms, and then those will blend those two populations of the formerly incarcerated and, and the current Marquette student populations. And again, each one will have different blends of instructors as well, you know, and, but we do give faculty some flexibility in figuring out how they want to work with, you know, other people and trying to develop that class. So I know in, in 2022, um, it, it really takes off, but you've already had some classes so far. 
in that blended, I'm just thinking about kind of the experiences and what people get out of that, having that. I think it is probably really enhanced by having people with these different experiences. Am I on the right track? You are. And in fact, this is where I think Teresa and Marisola, this is where they've really been absolute leaders and they've been the one to kind of advance and structure this part of the program. But, you know, it, and, and it's not just, you know, the way that they've built that classroom experience is that it is not just, you know, I know the, the immediate reaction may be, well, that's great for those that are currently incarcerated. They have, you know, they're getting this great experience, but it's not just for them, right? This experience is transformational for everyone that's, that's everyone that's involved, including the instructors, including the Marquette students, right? To be able to have that breadth of experience, to have what, what in, the, in the higher education field we, we refer to as high impact practices, right? This is something that everyone that's involved in that class really learns, grows, and has um, what we found so far from the feedback, just really great, great in-class experiences. That's awesome. So, and another element I understand with this program is to have co-facilitators. And so these co-facilitators are people with, are, have been incarcerated in the past. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So they're helping to lead the discussion and lead the class with say one of you, uh, Darren or, or Robert, mm -hmm. have you guys taught classes with a co-facilitator and what was that like? Yeah, you know, the one of the things that we were able to do, obviously, because of the pandemic, we had to pause on inside courses. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, the, the nature of the course structure on all co college campuses were thrown off. But what we were certainly able to do is uh, pilot in more depth the process of co-instruction. And Darren alluded to this, depending on the class, the co-instruction will take on different forms and different features. Uh, for example, in my African-American history class, what I did was provided a, a mini um, criminal legal system workshop. So four or six of the class sessions was specifically discussing the, the history of African-Americans using the lens of carcerality and surveillance as being a very significant uh, impactor of the ways in which race, racism, and racial ideologies get formed. And then we also spend some time talking about uh, the, the history of incarceration in uh, Wisconsin, the, the more recent history and what the data looks like. Uh, so we were connecting not only the, the local experience to that broader trajectory of African-American history, but then we were also hearing from someone who had that direct experience, who now is this you know, remarkable community organizer. And so to, for students to not only hear that expertise, but to also hear the evolution, as Darren mentioned, it's really remarkable. And there's one other thing I wanna mention um, in the process of interviewing uh, folks for Sharon's position as community liaison, that in and of itself was one of the most remarkable experiences I have ever encountered uh, because it became painfully and yet brilliantly clear that we are wasting so much human potential and human expertise 
because of the sickness that is that carceral system. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I, I, I'm hoping we can hear more from Sharon because you'll hear the brilliance that he brings to the table. Absolutely. You know, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to let Sharon tackle that. And Darren, I want to talk about your experience with a co-instructor as well. So stay with us. You are listening to the 411 Live. When times get dark, we can't see the help that's all around us. Let 211 be your guiding light for help with food, health care, and other resources. How can I help you? Call 211 or visit 211.org. 211. Get connected. Get help. Every day. Every day. Millions of people are connecting. And even though we're overcoming obstacles, watching each other's backs, and banding together, we should still make an effort. We should still make an effort to get to know each other on a deeper level. Father, cosplayer, mentor, actor. It's time we take a step forward. It's time we take a step forward. Come together and discover how accepting our differences can, can make, make us stronger. Welcome back to the 411 Live. We are talking about a prison education program. Um, it is called the Educational Preparedness Program. And we, when we left off, we were talking about um, a lot of what's happening with bringing in uh, formerly incarcerated people to help to co-instruct. Uh, and Darren, we were w about to hear what your experience with that has been like. Sure. Um, so this past spring, I had a co-facilitator. Um, his name is Martis Scales, and he's um, a caseworker at the Alma Center. So he works with individuals through their reentry process. Um, and I got to meet him, and he did some guest speaking for me. And so I asked him if he'd be interested in co-facilitating my race, crime, and punishment class. He expressed interest that he would. Um, and for me, the, the thought was that we, you know, the class before his participation, we talked about theories and we talked a lot about the statistics and kind of the state of uh, mass incarceration or the state of police violence against marginalized communities. But what, what it was really missing, it was missing a very human experiential component because you can show a video on this stuff, but it does not have the same impact on students as having a human being talk about their own experiences with those types of forms of oppression and discrimination and mistreatment. And so that was the thinking is I was, as I wanted his participation to kind of almost give a little bit of life mm -hmm. and to really humanize the human beings that are involved in this because it is so easy. The system itself is naturally is a process of dehumanization. And so part of the work that we're doing is finding, is identifying ways in which we can humanize those individuals that are justice impacted. And in fact, that's another reason for Sharon's involvement is for, is that also as Rob alluded to before, we have blind spots because none of us have gone through these, um, has had that level of contact with the system. And so we weren't even aware of all the different potholes that were out there. And so when you have, really um, intimate involvement of justice impacted folks, especially at the leadership level, right? Because it can't just be, 
you know, token-esque positions as like, hey, you know, we want to have this, you know, almost like, hey, let's put you on display, right? right? I'm not, we're not, you know, that's not really the vibe of what we're trying to do. We're trying to have people that are deeply in, involved in the decision-making and the vision planning. And so I think the two are really connected of, you know, the role that my co-facilitator had to help humanize and help provide, you know, the emotional and experiential, right, um, uh, uh, um, lessons of the class. And then that really informed us to think, you know, we, we need someone that's also in leadership to be, to, to have those experiences as well. Absolutely. Okay. That totally makes sense. Uh, Sharon, uh, Robert was talking about the fact that there were a lot of people who uh, applied for your position. You stood above, you know, the rest. But among those others, it showed him that there was a lot of talent, so to speak, left on the table because some people are just being overlooked. But there is a big talent pool that we should be tapping into. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, I'd like to thank both Robert and Darren for their kind words, and I hope to live up um, to their belief in, in my ability. And I can categorically state without a doubt that there is a tremendous amount of talent that just seems to be wasting away in prison to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. um, now, a lot of those individuals in prison, they seek out opportunities in order to express their talent and to provide provide opportunities to others. Um, personally, I can say that while I was in prison, of course, I, I achieved my bachelor's degree. I earned 57 certifications and diplomas, as well as a paralegal degree. And I began my graduate courses while I was in prison. So there are opportunities and there are opportunities for individuals to express their talent and to seize opportunities, carpe diem, if you will. But it has just made exceedingly difficult by all of the bureaucracy, the red tape, and the barriers, the unnecessary barriers in many cases that are placed in the way to help determine a person's failure and not facilitate that individual's success. And hopefully in this program, we're going to find a way to peek through the muddy waters of that and find the dry land of opportunity for the prisoners. So as they're coming out, is part of your, your work as a community liaison is to kind of connect with organizations that already exist, services that already exist, resources that already exist, to know where they are. So when folks have these needs, you can just target them to those places, kind of like a wraparound for individuals. That is, that is one of the uh, primary aspects for my duties as I see it. Mm -hmm. I think though that my primary duty is to bring a different perspective. And there were a number of um, horrible instances that occurred in my life as a result of being carcerally challenged. But the perspective that I want to bring is that there is a lining, you know, there is a silver lining in this dark cloud. There is a possibility for success with proper work. And if you give the proper support to an individual that needs it, that person can actualize, you know, their best potential. That's my biggest, I think, contribution to this is we're not going to walk 
I'm not going to speak for the entire group, but I don't believe that it benefits anyone for us to walk with our head down. I think we need to walk with our head up, with our eyes open to seek opportunities, to expand those opportunities that exist, and to change those detrimental actions as best we can. And that ultimately is going to bring about the best or the most efficacious result. Excellent, excellent. And this program, it's free to these incarcerated or formerly incarcerated individuals. Is that correct? From what I understand, yes, it is. But as I said during my interview process, this program shouldn't just be about providing a Marquette class or providing a um, college course. You know, we should be benefits hawks. For instance, I am a former a veteran. I'm a 100% service-connected disabled American veteran. And as a result, I have significant benefits that I'm utilizing right now to uh, finish my master's degree at the University of Wisconsin-Platteville. There are many veterans who have these benefits. Furthermore, there are other types of benefits such as the Wisconsin Higher Education Grant, the HEAP Grant, et cetera, Pell Grant, et cetera. And so what we want to do is we want to connect our students to all of the opportunities that are available to them. And it's very, very difficult, exceedingly difficult to concentrate on getting an A or a B in a class when your rent is due and you don't have the funds to pay it. So we want to be an all-encompassing wraparound service that connects our clients, if you will, our friends, if you will, our, our brothers and our sisters, if you will, to the benefits that they have earned and that I believe that they have coming. Excellent. Uh, Robert, what's the future look like? You know, the, the, the future uh, in, a, in, in its most uh, brilliant possibilities would be a regional strategy where multiple, multiple universities will have similar kinds of processes through which uh, folks are taking courses. Uh, as, as Sharon mentioned, exploring all these various benefits such that we create what would be um, a, a citywide or region-wide institutional structure that leads us down the road to become a degree-granting entity. And uh, I'll say this now, and I think it's uh, uh, a widely held agreement that we would want to name that the McNeely Institute in honor of R.L. McNeely, and that we would really uh, not only bring to bear the, the richness of this program, but to also uh, live and breathe the, the life and legacy of, of R.L. because of how important he was to this conversation, but also to our community more broadly. Very good. That's excellent. Um, and I keep using the word excellent over and over again, but I, I just think the program is, it's like a no-brainer. It's needed. Um, there are people, of course, you know, Wisconsin has a high incarceration rate, and in some neighborhoods in Milwaukee, uh, a black man is, what, almost 50% likely to be yeah. incarcerated. I mean, it, it's, it's out of control, but these people have minds, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, there are opportunities for them, and this is one of those opportunities that I hope people take advantage of, and it's yeah. definitely needed. Um, any, any pushback on this? Not yet, but it's probably coming, you know. <laughs> We're ready for it. We're ready for it, though. Yeah. And, but that, you know, Beverly, that's the kind of thing where uh, the members of the, the team 
uh, folks on our college campuses that are committed to it, obviously FCAB and all the many uh, community-based organizations. We're just gonna keep being courageous and we're gonna keep uh, moving this conversation back into one that focuses on folks' humanity uh, instead of all those tropes and mm -hmm. that evil language that got us down this road, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're not afraid of that. And um, I might also add that I, I would like to give credit to our university leadership who has been supportive of our efforts, right? Because this could have died if our president, provost, and our deans weren't supportive of, of, of our work. But I also think that this work is directly in line with our university's stated values and mission of service to others and social justice. Like if that's truly the guiding principles of Marquette University, then this work is absolutely crucial and consistent with all of those uh, values and state admissions. So, okay. and if I and if I could just add, uh, as someone who was recently, well, who is carcerally challenged and who was relatively recently released from prison, one of the one of the significant barriers that we have as we try to matriculate from prison back into society to ultimately being successful is this this diatribe of negativity um, individuals aren't going to want you and i'll just give one quick anecdote you know my very first day on june 30th uh, 2020 when I was released and I was walking down the street. This is a half an hour after being released. I was approached by individuals who crossed the street from me and they did this over and over again. And I was like, oh my God, how could they know that I have just been released from prison? Of course, what I didn't know is that that was common practice due to the COVID-19 when you meet someone you cross over. But I didn't associate it with that because I was completely unaware with completely unaware of it and it seemed to confirm the things that I had been told while I was incarcerated well I can categorically state that I have experienced the most wonderful resurrection if you will mm -hmm. there have been so many different organizations that have sought my services and who have allowed me to access theirs and I have yet to meet one person who has looked upon me in a negative light because of my incarceration. Instead, they've embraced me, they have welcomed me, and they have presented me with opportunity after opportunity. And if I could just say this, I was working for an organization called Porchlight, which uh, the Veterans Transitional Housing Program, uh, they sought my services were able to assist veterans and they put me in a leadership position right after being incarcerated so um this is the perspective that i want to bring yes there's a lot of negativity but there are more people like darren and robert and Teresa than there are those individuals who would stand in our way and stop us from going forward Excellent. That's very encouraging. And I congratulate you on your high achievement. I mean, you accomplished a lot while you were incarcerated, education, academically. Um, so you have a story to tell and an example, a living example as well. Listen, gentlemen, our time is up. Um, it went fast, talking about a really, really great program. And I congratulate you on the work that you have done and the work that you will continue to do because it's much needed. The Educational Preparedness Program, we're gonna hear more about that. If somebody wants more information, where quickly, where could they go? The best place would be just to email us at urbancenter at marquette.edu. 
Excellent. We'll get the email. That's the we that that'll catch all of it. Okay. Sounds good. Center at Marquette.edu. All right. You have been listening to Dr. Robert Smith and Dr. Darren Wheelock and Sharon Bowie. They're all a part of the educational preparedness program. And gentlemen, again, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. And thank you for joining us once again for another edition of the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. Remember, we are a nonprofit organization, so if you are so inclined to contribute, please go to our website, 411live.org. Until next time, I'm Beverly Taylor. This is the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. If you would like to check out past episodes, there are many ways. Go to your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Like and watch us on Facebook. Watch and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you have suggestions for future episodes, go to our website, the411live.org.